Good morning. We'll get started this morning with Amazing Grace. My chains are gone.
You can be seated. <laughs> Everybody else knows. I just have to make sure I tell Jonathan. <laughs> All right, Psalm 6. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. And my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has, my eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Let's pray. Lord, we are given reminders that your work is good and your will will be done. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us as we walk day by day to trust in that, to know that your promises are good and that they endure and that there is coming a kingdom where all that is wrong will be set right, where death will be no more, where your mercy and your grace will reign eternally. Lord, strengthen us to walk in that truth. Strengthen us to walk until that day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us. Holy, holy, holy.
All right, a couple of things. Unfortunately, I actually have a list this week. Uh, first off, church council next Sunday will be the plan, so just know about that. We'll start off. There you go. You are figuring things out. That means there's a business meeting the week after. So plan your Costcoing ahead. We're going to make that a verb now. <laughs> um, I got new sheets because the old ones had all disappeared. Thank you for the backpacks. So, And it's right now. Remember I said when originally it was out there that the hats weren't donated? I got like two garbage bags full of hats. So the hats are donated again. <laughs> so, so that sheet is accurate once again. So there we go. There, there's a whole pile of hats that we have. So everything else on the list, you, well, you, you're smart people. You can read and figure it out. For those of you that are already shopping and accumulating, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Do what? You're smart. There you go. Smart with the A, right? It's the old Homer Simpson joke. All right, couple of updates. Terry is feeling better after his positive COVID test and funness. He's been having, let's see, fever, headache, and the general sinus joys that go with, uh, you know, respiratory and sinus infection. His, uh, he's already planning on being back next Sunday. The work, I don't know what work said specifically, but the health department told him as long as he is 10 days after his onset of symptoms and he has gone 24 hours without having a symptom, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> he does not have to quarantine any longer. And that must be the new spiel because that's the exact same thing the health department has told Pam as well. She got her test result Friday, Thursday? Couldn't have been yesterday. Yeah, last, was it last? No, that's when she started symptoms. She got her positive test Friday, Thursday or Friday. Yeah, because she, because I spoke to her and she'd already had it. So, um, same symptoms. She had, you know, the, the same idea, and they told her the same thing. But they're both doing well, functioning as you know, as you would with a virus that would do what it's doing with them. As far as other random updates, Shelby Curley fell. No, Shelby. Shelby fell. Sam's fine. Sam is Sam's the healthy one. She was in the yard doing something, and her uh, their dog has discovered a new hobby, which is digging holes in the yard. And she stepped back out of the garden, put her foot in one, and fell back. And Sam had leaned the ladder up against the garage, and she fell and landed and hit the ladder. So, knocked the wind out of her. She kind of waited, got herself back up. She's just been hurting all week. She has not gone to the doctor because she keeps thinking tomorrow I'll wake up and I won't hurt as bad. So she did finally go, I wish she said Wednesday, and she got one of those elastic wraps for your rib cage because so that would help her sleep, and that seemed to be helping. She said yesterday was the first day she actually felt bad, like she was healing. So <laughs> she said, Sam's ready to go do whatever, but I'm, I'm the holdup. So, <laughs> so that's, that's the update on that. Other than that, they're doing okay. So. So remember, Shelby, if you get a chance, call her this week. I'm sure she would appreciate it. Uh, one other thing. We are taking our nursery list, balling it up, basically, and throwing it out the window. There's, there's no other good way to explain it, simply because we, the, there are people that are not here or have not come back who are on the list. There are some people who are on the list who can't come back. Some people who are on the list who are not coming back. I'm not trying to get into who's who and what's what and where's where at this point, so that's just a rundown. So what I'm going to start announcing now, if you are willing, as of right now, there is no one on the nursery list. So if you were on the nursery list, you are off the nursery list. So what I am asking is if you are willing to be in the nursery one Sunday a month, one Sunday a year, four Sundays a year, however many that may be, tell me or tell Elena 
and that way we can start to compile a new list so that we can at least have a little bit of coverage in the nursery most Sundays. Right now, on an average Sunday, we have two kids in there. It's um, it's James and Caleb, basically. And since we've had such a hit-and-miss nursery since getting back into church after shutdown, what's basically happened is Matt and Becca take turns, and the other one entertains the children while listening to the live stream in the foyer. <laughs> So that's kind of funny that that's how they're able to work it. But it'd be nice to be able to let them say, hey, you guys can go to church today and we'll take care of this. So we may get some more kids in the coming months. Who knows? If not, if you are willing to help, let me know. Let Elena know. Let us know how often you can do it, what you're willing to do. If you got a group, if you need to be paired with somebody, who you'd work with, who you won't work with, all that good stuff. Sound good? Did I leave anything out? Okay. Yes, if you haven't had a, if it's someone you, if you have not previously taught a class or been in the nursery at all, I will have a uh, thing I need to email you for a background check that protects you, it protects us, and it's just smart. That way, I don't think anything weird is coming back on you, but if it does, then we can look at you sideways and you can explain it. <laughs> so there you go. But that's, 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 it's, it's, it's harmless. It takes you five minutes to fill it out. I filled one out. Cameron's filled one out. Everybody who's been in the nursery has filled one out. I email you the link. You fill it out. It's done. You can do it on your phone. All right. Anything else I'm forgetting? Would, uh, knowing that the people who usually prep communion weren't going to be here and that half the church wasn't going to be here, we're just going to do communion next Sunday. So. <laughs> Jonathan is determined. I know things. <laughs> so, all right. Th hopefully, this is our last trivia question like this for a couple of weeks. Hopefully, there is a um, there is something that comes out every two years done by Ligonier Ministries. If you have no idea what a Ligonier is, don't feel bad. I don't even know what a Ligonier is, and I know who they are. So, they do every two years something they call their State of the Church Survey, and it makes me cry every two years because they ask theology questions, and then they tell you like what percentage of Bible-believing people actually believe rightly and wrongly, and it's usually frightening. So what I'm going to do is the full test is going to be released this week with the results. Don't cheat. Don't, now that I've told you this, don't go look it up. What I want to do is I want to actually give it to you guys. All these times I've threatened you there was going to be a test on this later, coming. So we'll put a couple questions in there a week, have you answer them, and then discuss how many people actually nationwide got it wrong. And then you can either feel better about yourself or feel worse about yourself. <laughs> it might. I don't have my water on me, so. <laughs> so, it, I mean, and it's basic Christian doctrine for the most part. The sad thing is basic questions that 60 to 70% of regular churchgoers don't know. Plus, it'll be good for us because it gets you thinking about things that are considered basic to the faith. And like I said, we do this every Sunday anyway, so it'll be something fun that we'll do. So, before that gets started, though, in what city did Peter heal Aeneas? Everybody read that and was like, well, it's obviously Lida. Everybody knows that. And believe it or not, there's no real pithy description about this one this week like we normally have. The whole goal of using that question was to get you to read Acts. And I know a couple of you actually did, so that made me happy. Yay! Um, if, if you've never really read Acts and seen just how much work the Holy Spirit does in that book and how little work humanity actually accomplishes, you should, because it'll make you feel better about your daily life and all the times you get it wrong. <laughs> Because you start realizing these guys are terrible at this. But the Holy Spirit's just like, there you go. There you go. Good job. Here's a cookie. No, no, wrong way. There you go. I mean, it's, it's like herding toddlers. It, the Holy Spirit does an awesome job with the apostles in the early church. Not to mention 
not, not just in Jerusalem, but really throughout the entire Mediterranean world as Paul travels, as Peter begins to travel, as all of these things begin to spread and the church moves out. You see the Holy Spirit at work in all of these areas as God demonstrates once again that he is God where? Everywhere. So, complete this verse. Now, just because you know it doesn't mean you get credit. You've got to know it and know where it came from, all right? So, the Son of Man came to seek and blank. Don't say it. The Son of Man came to seek and blank. And some of you are going, I caught it that time. So, reason for the question is down there. Read your Bible. It will do you good. If I'm not forgetting anything else, counsel next week. Remember Terry, Pam, uh, Shelby. How's the foot doing? It is doing better. How's the leg doing? How is mom doing? <laughs> Judith has been down because her daughter-in-law has, was hospitalized even after the birth and didn't get to go home. And then somebody tested positive for COVID, and it's like, it, it's, it's like a soap opera down there, apparently. So if anything else, other, I'm sorry? They're doing all right. That's a different discussion. So some of that's travel issues. <laughs> but yeah, they are doing all right. If there's nothing else, I'm going to stop talking. Oh, 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 oh. On what? Okay. What's wrong with your back? Oh, you're getting, I thought you said you got an MRI. Oh, they just did it yesterday, okay. How was there a pit bull in your backyard? I can imagine. How's Teddy? You're having almost as much fun in your yard as I am. I've had three coyotes in my yard in the last three days. In the yard. Yeah, if they if the if they'd come out when I ha when I can do that, it'd be awesome. But that's the problem. I've I've so I've spent about what an hour to two hours each night with some bait out, sitting out my bedroom window with a rifle, hoping. <laughs> I I normally I don't mind coyotes. They they stay where they are, and I stay where I am. But when you're in my driveway, <laughs> you that you don't get to hang out there. So if I have offended you with that, I am sorry. Well, I'm not really sorry, but I should, probably shouldn't have said it out loud. So. Hopefully he's going away. I had a nice little encounter with one yesterday afternoon. He's probably about 10 feet away. The dog was barking. I went to see what he was doing. He was like, oh, get, get out of my yard. Little little pup about yay high. Looked up at me with ears. and like, go home. Go find a home somewhere else. And he ran off. The one that worried me was one that popped out of the woods, what, two nights ago? Laying in bed, about to be asleep, about quarter to 10. And all of a sudden, I hear a bark and a howl. And I turn over, and there's a coyote about yay high, standing in the middle of my driveway, howling. Okay, by the time I got the screen out of the window, he was gone, so. <laughs> there was a full moon, so that's why I've been itching. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's apparently something is going on with the critters. Don't feel bad. You're not the only one. <sighs> got rid of the ground squirrels, and now I have coyotes. I'll trade the coyotes for the ground squirrels back. <laughs> so, all right, if nothing else, I need to stop talking so we can continue on with our service, so. Join us with Great Is Thy Faithfulness.
remove this this week, and now stuff doesn't go where it belongs. So. Welcome on this lovely rainy day. <laughs> Looked at the weather yesterday and went, <laughs> Bert's like, yay, things will grow again. <laughs> we've had more rain, I think, in the last seven, eight hours than we've had since, what, June? Yeah, so, <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. today is going to be a fun day. Today is going to be a really fun day, at least for me, because we're going to do something that most churches would skip. We're not going to skip it because I'm weird. We are taking a mini break. I, I'm, I'm honest about it, straight up. I'm, I'm, I'm weird. I think there is good stuff in all of it. So we will, if we have to get the dynamite out and blow something up, we will find the good stuff down in there. So we are staying in Exodus, but we are actually taking a break from the conflict between God and Egypt. And remember, as we are walking through the book of Exodus, if I forget to mention this 1,700 times, the conflict is not Moses and Pharaoh. It is God reclaiming a people, demonstrating his power, and ultimately showing his might over sin in his people. This has nothing to do, really, with Moses and Pharaoh. This has to do with God and a demonstration of who he is and what he is capable of doing. Now, you may be asking, how do we get a break from that without actually leaving the book? And I have everybody's favorite Bible word, genealogy. <laughs> now, as someone who has actually preached through the book of Genesis, including the genealogies of chapter 5 and chapter 10, this can be done. I will let you try to hunt down those old sermons to find out if they, have, if they can be done well. I think it can be, and I think there is good stuff in there simply because it connects us. And remember, the thing we lose when we just kind of drop into a verse, is we lose, our, we lose the, the, the book's connection to the history. A genealogy in the middle of this actually forces us to stop and make sure we connect the history from where we are now to what has come before, which helps us understand what will come later. It's the old line, you don't know where you are unless you know where you came from. You don't know, where you're, you don't know how to get someplace unless you first know what? Where you're going. So since we have a solid story, remember our timelines in Scripture, we have God working something from beginning to end, stopping periodically and connecting back to that vertical timeline is good because it allows us to see what has been done, which allows us to check the trajectory on which we're following. Sound good? All right. Exodus chapter 6, 14 through 27. These are the heads of the father's household, of their father's households, the sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel and Jamin and Ohad and Jachin and Zophar and Shaul, the sons of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. And, and by the way, just because I haven't said this yet, if you're looking for grandchildren, nieces and nephews, and somebody's like, you know, I want a unique name. I'm telling you, there's gold in them thar hills. So, okay. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon and Kohath and Merari, and the length of Levi's life was 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni and Shimei, according to their families. The sons of Kohath, Amram and Izhar and Hebron and Uziel, and the length of Kohath's life was 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali and Mushi, these are the families of the Levites according to their generations. 
Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, and the length of Amram's life was 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, and Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron married Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab, the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, and Elkanah, and Abiasaph, these are the families of the Korathites. Aaron's son Eleazar married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's households of the Levites, according to their families. There you go. It was the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their hosts. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the sons of Israel from Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. You're going, there's no way we're doing a whole Sunday on that. <gasps> yes. Yes, we are. And it's useful, I promise. I, I promise. If I'm wrong, you can throw hymnals at me. We still have them in here somewhere. There, there's books in the back you can find. Throw your husband. It'll be all right. These are the heads of their father's households, the sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn. All right, stop. We have a connection to history because other than a sandwich, how many of you know what a Reuben is? See? Make sure. Genesis chapter 14.9. This was Judah's parting blessing to the family. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. We were doing so well, and then we just kind of went off the rails, and you're going, what is he talking about? <gasps> Rewind a little bit further in Genesis, and we go to chapter 35, and the problem with Reuben is actually recorded. It came about while Israel, that's Jacob, was dwelling in that land that Reuben went up and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Never a good idea to sleep with one of dad's wives. I mean, I'll take things that don't need to be said out loud for a thousand, Alex. But apparently if you're Reuben, someone should have taught you this lesson. He didn't learn this lesson, therefore he is actually downgraded in the lists of blessings and in the sons in Genesis chapter 49. Now, you're going, this does not connect to who his people are. Why do you bring this up? Because of something I read last week, this gives us an opportunity to expand on it and explain it. Exodus 34, I read this last week explaining God. The Lord passed by in front of him, talking about Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Typically, we like to stop right there when we read that verse, because we don't like to read the next line. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. How does that work? Like, are your grandkids going to be in trouble because of the sin you had before God? And the answer is, maybe. Maybe. And the reason being, will God directly punish your grandchildren because of your sin before God? Let me ask that question. The answer to that is easy. No. Ezekiel? See, he agrees. <laughs> if he didn't agree, the lightning would have hit first, and that's how you would have known, right? See, there you go. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so there you go. God agrees. 
you're, you will be punished for your sin or Christ will have been punished for your sin. That is true for you. It is true for every human being everywhere. How then do we have a problem where the iniquity falls on the third and fourth generation? James chapter 1, I think, actually helps us out, as, long, as well as 1 Corinthians 10. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So first little quick lesson. Do you sin in ways that are unusual to you? Look, so like, if you despise the taste of alcohol, is there a real worry that you're going to become an alcoholic? <laughs> Not typically, because you're going to go, how does anybody drink this stuff? Or if you have a terrible fear, like deathly afraid of needles, are you going to start heroin? Not usually, because that would involve doing what? injecting yourself if you don't like breathe give me a minute on to on average if you i mean if you like don't like strange things going up your nose you don't start, start cocaine not usually you sin in ways you are comfortable you are comfortable you are enticed by your sin sin never walks on me like hey i'm evil let's go this way and you're like oh that looks like so much fun yay no Sin is like those bad after-school specials, like, hey, man, it's fun. Everybody's doing it. Come on. And you're going, everybody's doing what? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, where am I? Well, why did you end up there? Because at no point did your brain go, um, we shouldn't be here. You're, you sin where you are tempted. Now, where are you comfortable? Where were you raised? Where do you live? What have you been around your entire life? How many times have you heard someone say, well, his grandfather's an alcoholic and his dad was an alcoholic, so he's an alcoholic. Now, is he an alcoholic because his father was an alcoholic? No, he's an alcoholic because he was comfortable and he was enticed by it because that's what he was around. You actually can see this in your Old Testament. You see Abraham take Sarai and go down into Egypt and say what? She's my sister. And he does that twice and you're sitting there going stop it isaac rolling along stands before abimelech and says what about rebecca she's my sister well where did you come up with that one <laughs> we have families from alabama you got to pick pick places no one's from so since we have people from alabama and arkansas and mississippi we have to blame kentucky and west virginia here see i was in a church where we had family members from kentucky and west virginia then you had to blame like georgia because nobody is from Georgia. So you got to pick someplace nobody's from. <laughs> the barbecue sauce is what makes it evil, huh? This is where this comes in. Where does Isaac come up with this idea? It was probably heard a family story. This, that was smart, Dad. No, no, it was dumb, kid. Don't do it. When push came to shove, what does he remember? What do your children remember? Did your children remember all the wise intelligent things that you have taught them? All the places where you have overcome and imparted this, the, the wisdom of the generations? Do they remember any of that? No, they remember every dumb thing you have ever said. They go by and go, why did you call that person that in traffic? No, don't listen to that. All the good things I tell you, and that's the thing you remember. You're like, you remember the things I said when I stubbed my toe. Why? Same thing in life. They don't remember the good stuff. They remember all the bad stuff. What do they get comfortable with? 
this is why. What? How's the children's song go? Oh, be careful, little eyes. What you see? It's not, oh, hey, turn away. It's what? Be careful what you see. Be careful what you hear. Be careful what you... Start that when. Same idea here. This becomes an issue in how the sin gets handed down. Not because God's like, ooh, I got to whack that kid because his grandfather was a nitwit. No, this is, this kid's a nitwit because his dad was a nitwit and his grandfather was a nitwit. And what did they impart to them? Nitwittery, which that, if that is not a word, it needs to be a word. And if it wasn't before, so it is written, so it shall be done. Right? There we go. It is now a word. It is official. This works in both ways. How do you bestow righteousness upon your children? By teaching them what? This is Deuteronomy 6. This is the Shema. What should you do? You should talk about the things of God when? When you get up, when you lie down, when you're sitting about the house, when you're traveling through. Write them on your doorpost. Write them on your forehead. Write them on your wrist. Put them at the city gate so that everywhere you go, you're reminded of what? The goodness, gracious mercy of God, his loving kindness, and how you should walk. If you're constantly reminded of it, you'll constantly remind them of it so that when you miss it, they'll go, uh, Dad, I know. Now I got to go repent. Give me a minute. That's good. It's good for you. It's good for them. This is also how the Holy Spirit works. That's why, you notice how did James start off? You, you bear up under trial because trial is going to come. You're not tempted by God. You're tempted by your sin. That's why 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. You'll notice as we move through, and as we get through Exodus, Reuben, the firstborn, preeminent of Jacob, doesn't have preeminence. Why? Because he was corrupt, and he walked in ways that didn't honor God. And what did he teach his family? And as that continues on through the family, that curse continues on. Not because God's punishing them for what Reuben did, but because Reuben is punishing them for who Reuben was. Welcome to the generational problem in this world. It's not like sin is hopscotching through the family. It's because no one is finally going, you know what? You see this line right here? We're done here. We're done here. We actually actually have a really good example. I, I'm going to brag on me for a minute. You ready? Fun family history story. I've made mention before a few times that my father was uh, literally a drunken sailor. He was an alcoholic naval veteran, so literally a drunken sailor. And the, the common question in my house was whoever got home first, whether dad picked me up from school and I got home before mom or whether somebody else gave me a ride home and mom got home before me, was we immediately found the other one and said, what kind of mood is dad in? That was how every afternoon started. And if dad left for work before I got up, when I got up, what kind of mood was dad in when he left for work? Because you got to kind of plan your day because that'll determine how you act around him when things are going on. Some days it was good. Some days it didn't work so good. You know, some days I went to school and lied about the bruises. Some days I didn't have to. Some days it was fun. Some days it wasn't. Cameron's sister married a man with almost an identical history, basically an alcoholic naval Navy SEAL. Drunken sailor. Guess how he was raised? Pretty much the exact same way. One of us has beaten our wife and put her in the hospital, and one of us hasn't. I'm the one who hasn't, if you're wondering. (laughs) Come on now. Give me a little bit of credit. Now, you know who got really mad when they found out? Because you know what the excuse was when we found out what was going on? You know the first thing I heard? Well, that's just how he was raised, and he doesn't know anything else. 
Have you met me? This is how I was raised. I know something else. Don't give me that garbage. And I was so mad, I don't think I said garbage, so you'll have to forgive me about that. I, I, I ask Cameron, to this day, when that conversation comes up, I'm like, it's immediately 2-11, like my face turns the color of the carpet, and I'm just like, what are you, don't make excuses. It's a problem, and he needs to stop it. Don't blame other things. You can do better. Why? Because by the grace of God, your repentance and faith, the power working in the Holy Spirit, you are transformed. Therefore, you are capable of looking at that sin and going, no. Dang nabbit, why did I step in it? You're like, I was supposed to step on it, not in it. But I'm still capable of doing what when I recognize that? I'm still fighting. Will you always win? No. But you are going to war. And if you continue to go to war, guess what you will eventually do? You will eventually win. It may be an eternity, but you will eventually win. As Christians, we fail, not when we fall into sin, but when we stop fighting. This is the lesson. This is why we're told, do not grow weary of doing good. This is why James, Peter, Paul, Jesus, some one of the other Beatles or somebody said, you continue to bear up under trial. You continue to walk in faithfulness because the world is going to continue with your sin and with your temptations and with everything going on to give you what? Trial. The Christian walk is one that bears, one that stands firm and fights for righteousness because that is what the Holy Spirit spurs us to do. Again, we don't fail when we sin. We fail when we accept our sin. There's a difference between those two things. And that is all we're going to say about Reuben. See, I told you there was good stuff in there. See, 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 and you doubted me. You doubted me. The sons of Simeon, verse 15. Simeon has a lovely history. Genesis 49, again, go back to the promises from Judah, or the, the prophecies, the blessings, however you want to say it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let my glory be united. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Ow. Genesis 35 recounts that story of Simeon and Levi in Shechem. You can go read that. I won't try to read all of it to you. It wasn't good. It wasn't happy. They lied to the Shechemites. They used the covenant of God as a means of bringing about retribution, which is never a good idea. It, what they basically did was, here's my Bible. Don't hurt me. I come in peace. I come in peace. Gotcha. That's bad. That's bad. Don't do that. Now, were they cursed? Was Simeon cursed? Numbers 26, 14. These are the families of the Simeonites, Simeonites 22,000. You're going, okay, what does that mean? That's small. As far as Israel's concerned, that's the smallest tribe, and it's not even close. Like, the next smallest tribe has almost double that number of people. They're tiny. That's a curse. Who opens the womb? God, who grants life. God, if you're not having as many children as the people who live right next to you, who's made that determination ultimately as a people? God has. Now, not only close, now there's another fun one. Deuteronomy 33 is Moses' blessings on the sons and tribes of Israel. And I make that distinction because those are not the same thing. There are 12 sons of Israel. There are 12 tribes in Israel. When you go through the list of sons... And then you move to the list of tribes. We drop two sons and we add two tribes. The, there is no tribe of Joseph. 
and there's not really in biblical history an understanding of the tribe of Levi. There are Levites, but there's not, they're not really referred to as the tribe of Levi. Instead, the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, are adopted by Jacob, and they are given an inheritance as tribes. So Joseph and Levi out, Manasseh and Ephraim in. So 12 sons, 12 tribes. Make sense? Deuteronomy 33, Moses pronounces a blessing on all the sons and all the tribes except for Simeon. <laughs> Oops. They're left out completely. Why? Because they're the smallest and they will be scattered and they are cursed because of what they have done. And if you're wondering about the scattering, their inheritance, Joshua chapter 19. The inheritance of the sons of Simeon was taken from the portion of the sons of Judah. They didn't even get their own inheritance. Judah was given an allotment that was so large that they finally went, all right, you know what? This is probably too much for Judah, so Simeon, you can live on Judah's land. You don't even get an inheritance. For the share of the sons of Judah was too large, so the sons of Simeon received an inheritance in the midst of Judah's inheritance. That's a scattering and cursing. You don't really get a land. You kind of get to borrow Judah's for a little while. God's not playing here. Now, why do we again tell that story? because it continues on this verse with a neat little thing. So the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakim, Zophar, Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, these are the families of Simeon. Anything jump out at you there? Son of the Canaanite woman. See, well, remember, why did Rebekah marry Isaac? Because Abraham's command was what? Don't get women from here. These people are, ooh, don't know. It's not that they're ugly, they're evil. Like, you can deal with ugly. We can't deal with evil. <laughs> you can deal with ugly. You can't deal with evil. Can't do it. To, to, to quote Ross Perot, not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Not going there. <laughs> you would, and that's why you are continually single. But we're not going to have that conversation right now. <laughs> go get Isaac a bride because we're not getting one from the Canaanites. Well, by the time we go a couple generations, what are we doing? We're marrying the Canaanites. So is, is the family pure? Have we eliminated the Canaanites? The Canaanites are marked for destruction. How can we destroy them if we married them? In order to destroy them, then we have to destroy the children we made with them. Wait a minute, this is getting confusing real quick, isn't it? <laughs> We're not going there. Foreshadowing, as well as a consistency in the New Testament. Exodus chapter 12. I know we haven't got to Exodus chapter 12 yet, but this is the actual Exodus. They have been given the Passover. The angel of the Lord has come through and done what he's going to do at that day. And they're leaving and they're being instituted. They're given the institution of the Passover. So the meal and the feast and who's going to take it and how they're supposed to take it. As they're literally preparing to walk out of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat it. All right, so you catch that? If you're not an Israelite, can you eat the Passover? No. But every man's slave purchased with money, after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. Why is that important? What is circumcision? It's a mark of the covenant, thereby making you what? Israel. You're no longer a foreigner. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat it. So the guy who works for you or someone from someplace else who's just happening to travel through, he can't eat. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But, that just came out of nowhere, if a stranger sojourns with you, 
and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then let him come near to celebrate it, and he shall be like the native of the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the native as to the same stranger who sojourns among you. I made a point to give you that context. This is literally as they're walking out of Egypt. Who's they? Israel. As they're walking out, God says, this is your Passover. You celebrate it. But if a foreigner wants to do it with you, here's the rundown. Why say that? Because I'm still convinced to this day that there were people in Egypt who got, probably around plague three, they were going, you know, these gods of Egypt aren't doing a whole heck of a lot. And this Yahweh dude is whooping our tail. Um, before this gets any worse, let's start paying attention to what these guys are saying and see if we can do something about it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we're going to pay attention to that. Exactly. It's like the hired gun. There you go. And so when the night of the Passover came, was it, let all the sons of Israel do this? It was what? Whoever puts the blood on the doorpost and takes of the meal and eats and does this rightly shall be saved. I think there were some Egyptians in Egypt going, what are we doing? Okay, lamb, I can do that. What, What am I doing with the blood? Okay, okay. Guys, guys, come here. Shut up. Do you want to live? All right, go get me the lamb. I mean, that was the rundown. And when it came time to leave, the Israelites are leaving. If you've been following along, keeping your rear end safe by following this, when they leave, what are you doing? Peace, yo. I mean, I'm not staying here. Look, You guys are getting your tails kicked. I'm going with Yahweh and his people. Therefore, how do I take the Passover? Because this is what I want to do. What do you mean I can't? Look, I'm following. Oh, okay, there's a way in. All right, I'm good. I'm in. This is a foreshadowing. You're seeing it even with the sons of Simeon. The work of Israel's deliverance, which is what the Exodus is, was not about Israel. And the reason that is the case is because none of the work of God on behalf of Israel was only ever about Israel. And I didn't just say that. Isaiah said it, and Isaiah didn't just say it. Isaiah said it twice. And I love these references because they're easy to remember. Isaiah 42, 5 through 7. Isaiah 49, 5 through 7. He made it easy for you, didn't he? Thus says the Lord God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. 49. Now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also make you a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nations, to the servant of the rulers. Kings will see and arise. Princes will also bow down because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. They were picked out and plucked and put put where they were. Why? So they would testify. So they would open the eyes of the blind. They're not blind. They have the commandments. They have the covenant. They have the law. They know It's you people living over there who don't know. How will they find out? Let's tell them. Let's show them. And let's bring them into the worship of Yahweh. This is what he commands. This is what he desires. This is how you should live. And they go, oh, well, why should I do that? 
well, look at us. We're a terrible little nation in the middle of nowhere who's nothing good, and look at all that we have. Where do you think we got it? You think we beat people up? They're twice the size we are. We didn't do this. God did this. Follow along. See, that was what the confirmation of the nation was always supposed to be. You see that even in Exodus. You see that even in the family lines as Israel is intermarrying with the cursed people because what is God doing? He is redeeming. He is bringing them back. He is working unto the ends of the earth. This continues in the New Testament. When Gentiles who feared God came to Jesus, did Jesus go, get away from me? No, he healed them. He delivered them. He blessed them. He raised them up. He even warns them. Why? Because again, what does Paul explain? Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So when the Roman centurion comes and asks in faith, Jesus delivers. When the Syrophoenician woman comes and asks in faith, Jesus delivers. When Jesus gets an opportunity to pro pro proclaim the gospel, the Samaritans believe. Why? Because the gospel was always not for Israel, but it was for the nations. That's Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. And I promise you that this speeds up in a minute. We had a lot to cover at the beginning, so don't freak out on me. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to the generations. If you remembered, Levi was included in Simeon in chapter 49, right? He was cursed because Simeon and Levi did the same thing, same problem, same curse, right? You're going to be cursed, you're going to be scattered. Uh, Joshua 21, they were scattered. Then the heads of the households of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of households of the tribes of the sons of Israel. So they went to leadership and they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan saying, the Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to live in. Why? Because they don't have an inheritance. They don't have a land. They haven't been given anything. Even Simeon got like a chunk of Judah that they could stay on. The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities with their pastures, lands for our cattle. So the sons of Israel gave the Levites from their inheritance these cities with their pasture lands according to the command of the Lord. And then it goes on to name all the cities, and I won't torture you with all those names. The Levites are scattered. Now, Simeon was scattered as a curse. The Levites, if you know your Bible, are scattered as a blessing because they become the priests and the keeper of the temple and the ones who are ministering for the people. Why? drying out there. They are actually given a blessing in, De blessing in Deuteronomy 33. Of Levi, Moses said, let your Thuman and let your Urim belong to your godly man, whom you proved at Massah, with whom you contended with the waters at Meribah, who said of his father and his mother, I did not consider them, and he did not acknowledge his brothers, nor did he regard his own sons, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach your ordinance to Jacob and your law to Israel. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. O Lord, bless his substance and accept the work of his hands. Shatter the loins of those who rise up against him and those who hate him so that they will not rise again. So Moses blesses Levi and his generations and completely forgets to mention Simeon. Like, no, we're not talking about that guy. He's cursed of God. Why would I mention him? What's the difference between the two? Exodus 32. When Moses saw that the people were out of control, who knows what that's referring to? Who knows Exodus 32? For Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. This is your golden calf, Moses coming back down the mountain, you know, going to smack some people with the tablets. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. 
So the people are losing their minds. They're engaged in idolatry. Sin is going left, right, and center. And Moses is standing there with broken tablets. What's he supposed to do? Can he go get a couple million people under control? No. And the only way you're getting this group under control is who's got the power of judgment? Yeah. So your option is either we get this under control or God's going to start smiting people. So, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh, go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp, and kill every man his brother, every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. The Levites said, No, no, we care more about God and his righteousness than you and your debauchery. Well, God says you die for that sin, therefore, let's go. And that's what they did. Now, question of the day. Who spurred the Levites to that action? Like, was it just unanimous? Like, Moses, people are engaged in debauchery. Sin is flying around. There's a golden calf being passed here, tither and yon. And Moses stood there and said, all who is for the Lord, come to me. And the Levites got together and said, all right, are we in or are we out? We're in. Okay, all of you? Dave, no, we're all doing this or nobody's doing this? All right, all right. Are you sure? All right, we, yes, hold on. Count again? Okay, yeah, 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 we're, we're it. Is that how that went down? No, the sons of Levi went. We got this. Who did that? Who gives a few thousand? Who gives a few thousand men the same idea at the same time? Really? Have you seen four men in a room try to make a decision? See, you're laughing because you're going, uh-huh. They can't even decide where we're going to go fishing, much less, you know, whether or not we're going to stand against a couple million people in their debauchery. No, that's God. Demonstrating what? What was dead? What was cursed? What was set apart is now what? Is now brought near is now made holy. What was set apart for destruction is now set apart for righteousness, to be teachers in Israel, to be priests unto the people, to offer the incense before God, to make sacrifice on behalf of the sin. That which was lost is now found, demonstrating his grace and his mercy and his power even in the sons of Israel. Now, with all of that said, we can kind of speed up a little bit. Focus can move in this passage from this to Moses and Aaron, which is kind of the whole point of that. Why do we need to make all of that point, though? Anybody going, anybody doing well here from a human perspective? Like, outside of the intervention of God, is anybody doing good here? No. Deuteronomy chapter 7. This Moses got this lesson. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all nations. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In other words, God is not doing this for Israel because Israel is just so awesome at life that they are crushing it. God is literally choosing them because they are not awesome at life. He will build the nation. He will preserve them. He will bring them to the end. He will redeem them. By the way, Christian, not a thing has changed. 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. We aren't from the same places, 
just in this room. We don't have the same life experiences. We don't, in some instances, have the same life goals and places that we're going. And yet we are a people. God does that. Not us. God does that. Different backgrounds, different heritages. That's when you get to Revelation. What does it look like? Every tribe, of na- every tongue of nations, all gathered on the throne, united in what? United in Christ. United in the redemption that God has brought. Not anything that connects them physically, or not anything that connects them in this earth, but God who is in heaven. So, rapid fire. You ready? The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, the, according to their families, the sons of Kohath, Amram, and Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the length of Kohath's life was 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the families of the Levites according to the generations. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, and the length of Amram's life was 137 years. Whoa, time out. Anything jump out at you about that? <laughs> like, is that where you go trolling for women at the family reunion? <laughs> I mean... I got to tell this story. We had a Sunday school teacher who used to teach youth Sunday school when I was a youth pastor. And we were talking about, because the whole church, it's a rural Eastern North Carolina church. So a lot of the church is related. And even if they're not related, they're related. And he, and somebody was talking about the, one of the kids in our group was 16 years old. And he just found out that he was like cousins with somebody else. And he didn't know this. And he's like, and our Sunday school teacher goes, oh, where do you show up at family reunions and see people you've dated? And go, please tell me you're here with someone, and she's not. Because <laughs> his whole life, until he was about 24 years old, he thought his dad was one of six children, and he found out his dad was one of 11 children, like in his 20s, and suddenly there's all these people that he wasn't related to that now he's suddenly related to. And it's like, he said, yeah, you haven't lived here. You're at the table going, who are you here with? My uncle. Mm, we dated. <laughs> Yeah, this is not good. You're recoiling. Um, Amram married his father's sister. This is forbidden in Leviticus, right? Leviticus 18, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's blood relative. Good lesson for hermeneutics. Has the commandment been given yet? No. Therefore, <laughs> for now, yeah. Do not read your Bible backwards. It's a valuable lesson. Do not read your, the world of the Bible in light of the world in which you live. There's actually a technical term for that. It's called anachronism. If you go and look in Europe at a lot of uh, medieval churches, they used to, because so few people read, they used to teach the peasants by drawings. They would stain, that's where stained glass came from. The idea was that you teach Bible lessons through picture, because the, the peasants come in, they can listen, but they can't read, and so you can only teach but so much, so you put the pictures up so they kind of get a feel for what the Bible story is. And you would do this with paintings and with art, and if you go back and look at a lot of these old paintings, especially from the Middle Ages, they'll show you scenes of David riding into Jerusalem victorious from battle with the Ark of the Covenant on a horse with a sword in plated armor. Why are they displaying David like a knight? Because when they look at a king in their world in the 1400s in England, what does a king dress like? When he's on parade, he puts on his armor and his sword and the shield. and the That's not what David was doing, but that's how a king looked to them. So they portrayed a king the way they saw it. That's called an anachronism. It's reading your Bible and reading your world back into the Bible. Remember this. Yes, this is icky and wrong because the Levitical law tells you so, but not yet. Therefore, we have to grant grace and understanding that God knows what he's doing and he's redeeming a people that have weird history. And we deal with the commandment when the commandment comes and not before. Make sense? All right. 
the sons of Izhar, Korah and Nepheg and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Elzaphan is a great name, by the way. If you are looking for a name, I don't think you're going to do any better than Elzaphan. That works in the Bible. That works in, like, the Lord of the Rings. That works everywhere. Sorry. Aaron married Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. This is uh, a good, whoa, whoa, go back on. Go. This is a good note for you. This is the first time we're going to see Nashon. If you read your Bible, you will see him again. First Chronicles two, he is the one that you'll follow. Aminadab to Nashon is how you're going to eventually get to David and ultimately to Christ. When Israel leaves in martial array, they are going to leave with the tribe of Judah, who was promised to rule in Genesis forty nine, leading the way. The leader of the tribe of Judah is Nashon. That's why he is thrown in there, because he married somebody who's kind of from a family that's kind of a big deal. All right, now we go ahead. The sons of Korah, Asir and Elkanah and Abiasaph, these are the families of the Korahites. Korahites. See, there's Korahites and Korahites, and they are two different families, and if you mess them up, bad things happen. Number 16 gives them a history. Uh, they're the ones, if you've never known the story, the, uh, they lead a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and God judges them by swallowing them whole in the earth. Calls the people to come out, the people stand out, and God goes, now you'll know who's in charge. And the earth opens up, swallows them, and closes back up, and everybody went, oh, snap. Same dude. Aaron's son, Eleazar, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's household of the Levites according to their families. It was the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their hosts. This is the ultimate reason why they're going through all of this, because you notice we didn't care about the rest of the nine tribes. We only did the first three in order. This is what we're concerned with. Why? Why go through all of that? Again, I ask a question. Anybody doing good here? Like, do you feel good about anybody? Like, Nishan's in charge. You know, Jacobed's marrying her, her nephew. Korah's going to lead a rebellion. I mean, this is, this is brilliant, right? First Timothy chapter 1. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. See, this is actually a comfort. Every time you sit there and go, you know, I just, I just feel like God's not hearing my prayers because I've just been doing so badly. Shut up. And I mean that in all the love I can possibly muster. Have you seen the people he is saving? Have you seen the people he is redeeming? Like, are, are you sleeping with people at the family reunion? If you are, please don't tell me. Just don't want to know. Don't want to know. Just go, it's bad, and I will trust you, okay? I will trust you. But this is part of the lesson. Like, did, did you have an affair and have the husband murdered? <laughs> did you curse the name of God? These are some of the people that he delivers in the Old Testament. Did you, did you decide to forsake the one flesh union of marriage and get married to 300 other women? <laughs> yeah. Some of these guys, it's just like, what are you people doing? Yeah, it does. If you're like, I'm doing good, remember, they're not your standard. God is your standard, which is why we all fall short. But in the same vein, when God says, I have come to same sinners, you're going, yes, yes, you have. Thank you. Because if your grace and mercy can cover all of that, you know who else it can cover? It can cover all of us. And that is good news for me. Because again, who is the one doing this? John chapter 3. 
there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the friend of the groom who stands and hears him rejoices because of the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase. I must decrease. Who gets the praise and the glory for this? See, the, the rejoicing is not, you saved them, you can save me. Their joy is, you can save me. You can transform me. You can make me righteous. You can make me clean. and You can set me to a path that will lead me to you ultimately. Not just now, but in eternity. That's the reminder here. That's why these genealogies are good, because you get to read these people and highlight them and go, oh my goodness, these people are terrible at this. Like, terrible at this. Yes, yes they are. And you know who is awesome at his job? God is. This is why I don't kill myself trying to apply all of this teaching to every little avenue of your life. Because you know whose job that is? It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction, regeneration, and transformation. And he's good at it, so I let him do it. I give you the truth. Holy Spirit applies it, and you and Jesus work that out between yourselves. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the sons of Israel from Egypt. It was the same Aaron and Moses. Notice the Bible gets this point. Moses gets this point as our author. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh about bringing out the sons. Moses and Aaron get credit for this? No. God gets credit for this. Who accomplishes every good work under the sun? It's God. 1 Corinthians 3. Remember, read, read this last week. Read it again. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now the one who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. This is why the most uncomfortable thing anybody ever tells me after like a wedding or a funeral was, thank you, you did such a good job. Mm, don't tell me that. No, I didn't. I just told you stuff that was in the Bible. Holy Spirit did a good job. That's who gets the credit. That's who we want to point to. That's who is training us up. That is who we lean on. That is who we rest in. That is who transforms us. That is who picks us up when we fall. And if you think for a second, like, like, like that little bit of time, if you think for a second that, well, not me, you don't know me, oh, dude, please, go read. I dare you. Go read. Find somebody. I guarantee you it's in there, and it's probably worse. Probably worse. Because God's grace and his mercy covers, his love abides on sinners, because those are the only people that are. And the beauty of seeing this redemption in the book of Exodus is seeing the people that he actually redeems. This is not just some, well, we brought a nation out. Well, what's a nation? It's people walking together. What kind of people are they? <laughs> and he redeemed them. That's good news. We are the nation of God now. We are the people united in Christ. And what kind of people are we? <laughs> and he can redeem us because he has and he has demonstrated that. And he will perfect us because that is what he has promised. That is why the charge is to walk 
in faithfulness. That is why the prayer of Psalm 6 is to trust in the Lord. That is why the trivia question is so important today, because it connects to what we're doing, because it shows who God works among and how he does it. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the testimony that you have given, that there are none of yours that have been forgotten. But no matter the sin, no matter the struggle, you are there, uplifting your people, redeeming your nation, causing the growth, causing the increase. And Lord, strengthen us that we would give you the praise, knowing that you work, that you accomplish, and that by your work, we are clean. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. and glance in closing 2,000 reasons.
Quick reminders, uh, council next week, remember Terry, Pam, uh, Shelby this week. If you had a chance to call Shelby, I'm sure she would appreciate it. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave this place, strengthen us. Ground us in your word that we would know you, what you have called us to, and how we should walk, and that we would walk faithfully until your kingdom comes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.